Welcome to Beer Net Radio. Listen to on every continent except Antarctica. B double E Beer. Beer Net Radio. Sorry. What are you watching there, Harry? I was listening to a podcast and now I can't find I, I can't find the tab to turn it off. On virtual uh, golf outpost? No. Golf? No. It says golf simulator. Where does it say that? Uh, I thought that's what I heard. <laughs> oh no, it's it was just a podcast. Uh those those jokers over at Wash Media, I swear they crack me up. You'd like them, Jordan. They're in their early 30s just having children. <clears throat> oh, perfect. You should check it out. It's called Circling Back. Circling back. All right, I'll check it out. Yeah. They're the old guys that uh they were the content providers at Total Frat Move yeah. in Austin. And then they, of course, they grew out of it because they, you know, they're not you can only do that for so long. Yeah, yeah, you can only do that. You can only get away with that until like you're in your mid to late twenties, and then it really starts to t- take a bad look. So then they graduated to post grad problems, which I really enjoyed. And then that website went out of business, and so they started their own podcasting called Washed Media. Circling and it's pretty back. circling back. Yeah, it's pretty good. Three guys, and uh, they're about they're a little older than you, but uh, they're good guys. Well, we have a we have a knock at the door. So, Jordan, uh, this person that we have as a guest on the pod today, uh, back in the day, we used to do uh, the top fifty most powerful people in the beer industry, and it was the it was the U.S. beer industry, and it was we call it the beer net power, or the just top twenty, the beer net power twenty, and Craig Purser was a regular number one on the beer net power twenty. We quit doing the list uh, a few years I've ago. Seen the old articles. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of out of fashion to do power <laughs> lists these days, it, but. Uh, but I guarantee if we did do a power list, Craig Purser would be in the top five, maybe number one. Hello, Craig. Welcome to BeerNet Radio. Man, with friends like that, I'm, I'm telling you what. Now, I, I happen to know a lot of people that um, knew how to use email. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> well, can you, uh, uh, Jordan, can you hear him very well? Uh, so it's a, you're a little faint, Craig. Okay. You want me to, is that any better? You want me to? You want me to try? What do you think of this new studio, Craig? That I crafted together. It's we're getting to be uh, kind of big time. He can't hear me. He's going to have his headphones. But um, but Jordan, yeah, the studio is coming together. I ordered more wood siding. Looks sweet, man. I want to come check it out. Yeah, come come by and uh, check it out. I have to kind of put the camera in tight because the the wood it would only go out. so far. Yeah, it only goes so far, and I didn't order enough. So when I order more, I can. I don't. I won't look like I'm just. You don't put baby in a corner. <laughs> I learned that from the great late Patrick Soise. All right, Craig. Can you hear me better? 
Not really, but that's all right. We could, we'll make it work. We'll make it work. So, uh, obviously this is Craig Purser, uh, of the national beer wholesalers association. Thanks for being on Craig. We have a lot to cover (laughs) a lot, uh, coming off. Well, I mean, look at the news today, monster and constellation, the second trial balloon coming up. Um, what's weird about it to me is that, you know, coming from the beer side, I'm like, Oh, constellation is thinking about buying monster, but really the analysts are saying it's the other way around that monsters monster trades at a higher multiple than constellation does. So that would make it more expensive to go the other way. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. The point is, is that we're seeing a, a blurring of the lines and what does that mean, Craig, for you and, and your members? Well, th- first of all, thanks for having me, Harry. It's great to be back. I feel like we're uh, going OG. You know, the Super Bowl was a look back, and uh, maybe a conversation between us on Burnett Radio feels like a little bit of a, of a look back. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big deal, and it's an interesting deal. Um, there's a lot of things to unpack. I think the analysts have done a good job of talking through all the different scenarios. But as it relates to what does this mean to distributors, uh, it means that what NBWA does has never been more important. I mean, one of the things that um, we're reminded of from maybe the, 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 the most recent round of combinations, which really began in 2008, um, with two things that happened. One was the combination of Miller and Coors, and the other, of course, was the acquisition of Anheuser-Busch. Both of those kind of um, woke up the industry in a very different way. We know that um, you know, the value of state laws are really important as it relates to protecting the values of these businesses. And so consequently, um, you know, the whole notion of uh, you know, anytime a su- suppliers combine, if a state uh, does not have a successor supplier provision that prohibits terminations without cause, that's something that we pay attention to. And, you know, obviously 2008 was interesting because it, it woke everybody up as there was an attempt to terminate some 44 distributors in mass. And then of course we had some deals in the early 2000 teens with the acquisition of, of, uh, of Modelo by AB Globally and Constellation. And then of course the acquisition of SAB Miller by ABI and the first provision that uh, was included in as a condition for that merger was the one that we had first sought, which was to limit uh, or prohibit terminations, um, terminations without cause as a result of this deal. And all the parties, including SAB, Miller, Legacy, Miller Coors, Molson Coors, uh, agreed to that. That was the only provision that came out of the Department of Justice conditions that was applied both to Anheuser-Busch InBev and to Miller Coors, now Molson Coors. And, and how has that held up? Because, you know, we, we obviously have seen Constellation, maybe not as part of the deal, but in California specifically, make some kind of de facto terminations. Without, without a doubt. And Constellation's done it. Other brewers have done it likewise, where there's not a, a specific beer franchise laws. Uh, those manufacturers have made choices to terminate longstanding highly performing partners. And, you know, we've spoken, we've spoken about it. Uh, it has served, I think, as a real-time wake-up call to the rest of the industry, to a number of states uh, that have, have 
you know, have laws in place or have passed stronger laws to prohibit terminations without cause. And so all of those things kind of get a different look and a different workout when we start talking about additional global com uh, combinations. I mean, I do think that one of the things that's interesting about this potential constellation monster tie-up is that, you know, it, it's, it's the great convergence that you've talked about for so long in a different way in as much as it's not alcohol and alcohol. Um, you know, we know about the Canarchy deal that's been announced, which is interesting. We also know about the Coke ownership of Monster, which is interesting. Um, but, but all of this, I think, gets a fresher look when we look at this. Um, and we also look at last week's competition executive order report that came out, kind of long awaited, um, where at least the government, both at the DOJ and the FTC, have promised more rigorous review of M&A activity. Um, and, and, and that presumably includes the, the middle tier. Uh, yes, there, without a doubt. There was uh, a lot of attention paid in the, in the report to the middle tier, which I'm sure we'll get to. But as it relates to the, to the manufacturer of the supplier level, um, you know, the combination um, of, a, of, of an alcohol beverage company and a traditional non-alc beverage company you know, calls into question a whole host of issues. Um, it goes into how does the Federal Alcohol Administration Act get applied? Um, it goes into who owns the distribution. It goes into um, a whole host of many and varied state laws. Um, but all of that gets additional attention, um, you know, because of this kind of combination. I mean, when you think about Monster more specifically, you know, their influence in the convenience channel is, is significant. Um, they are able to buy shelf space, both at the, at the C store, where I think they probably have their best representation off premise. And they can buy business in the on-prem. I mean, you buy the business in the on-premise. Very, very different from that of alcohol beverage. So, and also hard to enforce, Craig. You know, I mean, the TTV is like, yeah, if there's proof that there's a quid pro quo from non-alc to alc, but if there's no written proof, it's very, very hard. But how do you reconcile going back to that that administration uh, report? Um, that, that, you know, they're saying on the one hand, there's just a lot of consolidation in the, in the producer and the middle tier in particular, but then also there's been a great proliferation of, of craft breweries underneath that. And so how, how do they reconcile that those are mutually exclusive? <laughs> well, it's, it, it, it really is interesting. I mean, the way that we kind of our initial blush on, on the report was we, we characterized it as, as incomplete um, or, or in, in inaccurate. And I think inaccurate and, and incomplete and inconclusive are really the three eyes that I would describe this, uh, this, you know, this, this with it, it, for instance, it does not talk about the fact that, um, you know, when it comes to beer, manufacturers don't have to have a federal basic permit. That was something that was included in our uh, comments when the, when the order was issued. And that's not the be all end all. It's just worth noting because that's part of what was incomplete. That was not addressed. That was not talked about. Um, you know, the, the, the report has been widely panned, I think, from a variety of sources. Uh, the Beer Institute, um, you know, uh, offered a little bit more commentary around it. Um, part of the focus included uh, kind of a, a big criticism of marketplace uh, concentration at the manufacturer level. And certainly that is an issue that I think everybody's concerned about. But, um, 
you know, there were some facts that weren't accurate as it relates to how they examined that. Um, you know, in their, in their opening uh, conversation around distribution, um, some facts that weren't included. In their opening uh, conversation and, uh, and, and cite to the number of craft brewers, um, big inaccuracy in the report compared to the numbers that TTB keeps. And so there was, you know, there was a lot of things that were there. Uh, we saw the American beverage licensees um, criticize it. Um, you know, so you've got Beer Institute on one end, the independent retailers on, on the other. Um, we've also uh, seen the Wine and Spirits Wholesalers of, of America uh, had some concerns about it. And I, I just read a publication that's a leading kind of a antitrust newsletter here in Washington, D.C. called Capital Forum. And they don't have a lot of, uh, they promise a longer look at it, but um, they ask a whole host of questions about it likewise. So um, like I said, it's, a, it's an interesting read. Um, that's not to say that there aren't some positive things in it. Uh, some positive things, I think, for, uh, for distributors and kind of balancing the force. You know, it does recognize uh, the value of three tier. It does talk about concerns related to vertical integration. That's important, particularly when we're talking about a federal government report. Um, it also is pretty clear about something that's been debated by legal folks around deference to the 21st Amendment um, and state alcohol regulation. That is, I think, a, a, a big takeaway that's pretty clear, um, you know, that, that, that's also in this report. Um, and then finally, I, I also do think that it, it recognizes the value of the Federal Alcohol Administration Act and the tied house provisions. And that's especially important as we watch these potential tie-ups between beverage companies and beer companies or alcohol companies, and as we look at global food and beverage companies like Pepsi-Cola, for instance, uh, attempt to enter the alcohol beverage marketplace as a, wait for it, distributor. Right, right. And let, let's, let's seg though that, but, but before we get off of that, there was uh, some uh, mention of franchise law in the report. This is, this is not an alcohol <laughs> Okay. Just, uh, I just want to be clear. Yes. Um, because it is only two 15 in the afternoon, but, uh, I, you know, uh, you know, from a practical perspective, when they start talking about distribution and franchise law in particular with the federal government, what can they do except maybe make recommendations, right? Well, and, and, and I think that was that was what they attempted to do. I mean, there was there was almost a voice in the paper that went back and forth between the different agencies that were writing it. Um, you know, I think it's it's an it's an interesting, awkward, like I said, inconclusive. They don't have any strong recommendations. Um, you know, the, the whole notion that uh, FTC or DOJ can opine on state regulation, um, that's that's been the case for forever. Um, they have a long history, particularly FTC of being asked to weigh in on issues that are either being proposed or being considered. And so that's not really new. Um, and, you know, the, the, when, you, when you kind of balance that out, um, you know, with the, the deference that the 21st Amendment and state alcohol regulation should receive, um, I think it tells a different story. I mean, you know, we, you can look at a map of the, of the United States and you can look at, at where there are more beer distributors. You can look at, and it's interesting because even, even the report itself, um, instead of talking about the, the term, um, instead of saying, you know, there are fewer distributors or um, uh, the marketplace is more concentrated, um, they said that the industry is less, uh, in franchise states is less fragmented. 
well, fragmented is not necessarily a good word because I think they're torn. Which one is better? More choices, more ways to get to market, less concentrated business, um, or is it indeed, um, you know, does that aid competition? And I think it, I think it does. I mean, you know, we're reminded of what the Department of Justice said when it, in 2016, was, was reviewing the, the merger between Anheuser-Busch InBev and uh, its acquisition of SAB Miller. And I'm paraphrasing, but they basically said independent distribution is essential to competition. Right. This did not repudiate that. R repudiate that. It did not refute that. Uh, it just, it, it is a newer review um, that, like we said, is, is, you know, it's inaccurate, it's, it's, uh, it's incomplete, and it's, and it's uh, inconclusive. Well, and, and, you know, like, I think you just kind of referenced it, that those of us who are a little bit older, remember, the FTC has been talking about this for 20 years, if sure. more. And let's also remember that the FTC fought uh, exclusive territories for many, many years, saying that it was anti-competitive. When now I think it's accepted economic, you know, theory that it's uh, actually entices more competition and probably brings prices down to an orderly market. I think that's exactly right, and I think that's especially important for everyone that is newer to the beer industry. And I say this for suppliers and retailers and and distributors. You know, understanding the value of exclusive territories that 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 works for everybody. That goes to to a brand owner being able to ensure that the, the equities of the brands are protected in the marketplace. It goes to the ability to setting pricing independently. Um, it goes to a whole host of things that actually, um, you know, are helpful to the economy. And to your point, oftentimes can aid competition. Right. Well, let's talk about Pepsi getting licensed and getting into the distribution system. What do you is that a, what do you, how do you view it? And have they become members of the MPWA? It's, it's interesting that we, we have had some conversations with Pepsi. I like those folks very much personally. Um, we've been very candid. Um, and, you know, this is certainly a different way to go to market. I, I think they know that. Uh, they did inquire about, um, you know, about membership early. And I asked the question, now, wait a minute, are you a brewer? Are you seeking, you know, are you seeking a, an associate member as a supplier? Well, actually, no, Boston Beer is doing that. Oh, okay. So then, well, we were a distributor, but yeah, but you're a company-owned distributor. And I said, for instance, um, Molson Coors and Anheuser-Busch both own distribution in some marketplaces, but we don't have a membership category for them. You have to be an independent beer distributor in order to participate. So we, you know, it was a good kind of instructive conversation about the way that we roll. Um, but, uh, you know, nonetheless, I think they know that what they're doing is different. Um, I think, um, I'm not sure whether they've thought about all the many and varied issues that are, you know, that are, that, that, that come to, that, that, that get set in motion from this. Um, I made mention that, that for brewers specifically, uh, there's not a requirement that they have a federal basic permit, which can create problems as it relates to enforcing trade practice uh, laws, for instance. Um, the, the conversation with Pepsi, I think, has been an ongoing educational effort because, um, you know, we had a big conversation kind of early on um, about the limitation in paying slotting fees or giving an item of value to a retailer. 
And the response was, yes, we know that there are a number of state laws that prohibit this. And I said, no, 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 no. Yeah. There is a federal prohibition. There is a law that is called the Federal Alcohol Administration Act that, that, that restricts you from doing this. Oh, so interestingly, they've, you know, they've, they've made some changes to their proposal. Uh, right. I, do, I know that a number of states are looking at this. Um, I know that, that uh, you know, this could create a lot of challenge for them. Um, you know, it likewise could create a lot of challenge depending on what they want to do with the line extensions of a globally recognized soft drink brand. I mean, that is different than Pabst having a contractual relationship to make not your father's root beer once upon a time and the launch of a globally recognized hard Mountain Dew. Um, so we'll see. It's going to be very interesting. Right. And, and what do you think about these uh, soda brands that are, like you say, nationally recognized soft drink brands, uh, line extending into alcohol? Are we pushing the envelope? Are we going to end up in a four loco situation like we did with state AGs getting involved? Well, I think it, it depends because ingredients matter. Um, alcohol origin matters. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but but it depends. I mean, some of these, you know, uh, simply does not have as much grand, grand awareness as Mountain Dew. No way, no how. It's not a, you know, there have not been ads during the Olympics. Uh, and maybe there, maybe there are, but that would be very new. Um, you know, some of these, you know, Topo Chico um, was not an alcohol brand, but, you know, not, you know, not something that was, was part of a, of a, um, you know, of a, of a youth or an extreme sports marketing campaign. Um, you know, it was something that we enjoyed, you know, in, in Texas and Oklahoma, you know, on a hot summer day as kind of a novelty. Um, so, so those are different kind of dynamics than, right. than um, going with a globally recognized brand. Well, let's pivot to spirit-based canned cocktails. Um, those or, you know, blurring of the lines, obviously they're taxed at a, at a much higher rate in most states and they, you're not, they're not available in many states everywhere. Um, and the discus guys have made, you know, they've made it clear that they're at the state level, especially going to kind of, you know, uh, try to get more equivalency going there. Um, they've had a little bit of success, I guess, like in Michigan and maybe Nebraska or somewhere, but uh, notably in New Jersey, that bill uh, uh, got, uh, failed to pass. So what, 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 where do we go from there? Is it an existential crisis like uh, Jim Cook indicates? Oh, I, I think for, for beer and I think for Jim, absolutely. I think that we, we are, there is a concern here as we look at the very clear intentions of discus. We look at their words. We look at the fact that um, you know, they, they are almost baiting the beer industry and I, and I use that word very deliberately as it relates to, um, you know, secreting a lower excise tax rate for these products and, and adding to the conversation um, a equivalency argument. And of course, you know, the, the, the origin of the alcohol matters. It always has, um, you know, since colonial days, beer, wine, and spirits have been taxed at different rates. It goes to the alcohol concentration and it goes to how the products are consumed. And so if, if I've got a product and it says Budweiser on the side of it, everybody knows what that is. It is a beer. 
if I have a product in the same container and it says Jim Beam on the side of it, everybody knows what it is. It's a whiskey. It's a, it's a bourbon product. It's brown liquor. And so it is really rich. It's really interesting to put this forward by, uh, you said, is this an existential threat? I think it's the spirits folks that are, that are seeking to, to make it that. Um, and again, they're baiting beer, obviously at the state level, but they're also doing it at the federal level, making noise, talking about uh, you know, these issues. And it's especially important when we know that the spirits industry specifically takes advantage of a whole host of tax loopholes. Um, you know, there's a 5010 flavoring credit uh, that allows them a reduced rate for, for products that are made with, with uh, alcohol flavoring. Um, there is a rum cover over, which is a piece of economic development um, that basically pays a subsidy to the manufacturers to make uh, distilled spirits in, in the Virgin Islands and in Puerto Rico. And then, of course, the duty drawback issue, I think, is getting a lot of attention as it relates to uh, the whole notion of alcohol manufacturers being able to import and export tax uh, uh, products at a tax rate of zero. So all of these issues, I think, as we, we talk about some of the ambitions of, of the liquor segment, all get a workout um, when you come to the party and you want to talk about reducing your taxes. Let's not forget that, that the entire alcohol industry got a once-in-a-career, a once-in-a-lifetime tax decrease with the passage of CBMTRA. And just when that happened the first time in 2017, and then when it was made permanent in 2019, Congress recognizes there was a difference. And obviously those differences were affected by these loopholes, but nonetheless, a real difference in the way that beer, wine, and spirits are taxed. Right. Right. And it's, um, I think going forward, um, explaining the difference in the historical significance, and, and it's just, uh, it, it, beer and malt based beverages take so much longer to make and they have a shelf life and there's, there's so much more that goes into it that, uh, and, and, but don't get me wrong, Harry, I'm not, I'm not down talking canned cocktails. I think canned cocktails have a role. I think that, um, you know, for beer distributors, if, if, if they can get them, they want them on their truck. Sure. Uh, it provides the consumer with an, with an alternative. It gives them uh, something that's portable, something that's that's you know ready to drink, literally. Um, the the quarrel, my quarrel is not at all with with the um, you know with the product. Um, it's just the the whole notion of of the liquor industry's ambitions. I think we need to be very careful of. Um, you know, you may just talk yourself into a real challenge. Yeah. Interesting. Pack a big lunch as, as you say, <laughs> pack a big lunch. Absolutely. Well, how do you, uh, Craig, uh, how do you balance a lot of consolidation going on in the beer industry? Your members are becoming fewer and larger. So how do you balance the wants and needs of your larger acquiring wholesalers, which, uh, that are getting larger with uh, the majority of your smaller members that maybe have different priorities. Yeah, I think you've got to you've got to be very deliberate and you've got to listen to where folks are because my experience has been that regardless of size, the 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 members' interest in maintaining the regulatory and legal sy uh, system has been something that's been universal. We have not seen beer distributors. Um, it doesn't mean that in a state there's not 
a, a one-off from time to time, a disagreement in the locker room, if you would. But we have, we have, we have remained strong because our, our industry is held together. And I think that's because of parties or, or owners and operators, regardless of size, realizing and recognizing that they need each other. And that if they start fighting in the locker room, they put the whole thing at risk. And, you know, quite frankly, that's one of the things I'm the most proud of has been that, that, that by and large, we've been able to stick together. We've been able to air our differences. You know, we, we talk about it under the umbrella of the state association. Um, certainly when, when folks come to Washington uh, in April for the legislative conference, and we haven't done that for the, for the last two years, um, I'm looking forward to that, to that distributor members meeting where we shut the door and we say, hey, what's on your mind? Here's what we think you need to be aware of and need to be thinking about. But we also want to hear from you. And so that, that kind of um, commonality and that kind of unity of purpose, I think, has served us well. And it's, you know, it's, it's way up there as it relates to an objective for our organization going forward. Right. Okay, cool. And, and uh, we were just talking about that yesterday. Uh, I think I am going, I will be there in Washington this year for the Ledge All Conference. Right. It's the same week as my son's uh, bachelor party, but that doesn't tar- start till like Thursday. So I'll go straight from Washington to Vegas. Should be a good time. Uh, I'd be surprised if you can't walk and chew gum. You can handle that. I can do both. I can do both. Jordan, do you, I, I didn't mean to hog the mic as usual. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. Well, I meet myself uh, just so <laughs> Harry can get in there. But um, no, you know, going back, I know you want to talk about the Ledge Conference, um, but jumping back to the equivalency argument, um, you know, I think tax is one issue, but then there's access and that's a whole nother issue. And then, you know, in talking with distributors, do you sense that they're a little more conflicted on that front? Hey, let's, let's call a spade a shovel. I mean, you know, Anheuser-Busch bought a cut water out at the Super Bowl. This is, this is happening. I mean, there's, there's, that's why I, I made sure that when I, when I talked about taxes, particularly at the federal level, you know, I want to, I want to say, I think there's a place for these products. Um, and I think it, that we've got to work extra hard to try to be consistent. Um, my position is that, that recognizing there's a difference in taxation on these products. And, and, and I also should, should mention, you know, lots of, lots of states have existing laws on these issues. Some states have a different tax treatment for lower alcohol products. And you've got to respect that. If that's been part of your code for years, you need to understand what does it look like to deviate from that, particularly if these are lower alcohol products. Um, so so there's, gonna, there's some work here, Jordan, no doubt about it. I mean, we're, we, we, we have to, you know, and, it, and it's like so many of the things that we do, it's not always a one-size-fits-all solution. Um, you know, we got to listen to the other person. We've got to try to make room for what, you know, what makes the most sense. Um, but it's, it's, you know, there is, there is a, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I haven't decided what the best word is. Is it an evolution? <laughs> is it a migration? Is it a convergence? I don't know. Um, but what I know is, you know, more people than ever want on the beer wholesaler's truck. Right. The, the one thing that our group has demonstrated over the last two years is they get it done. They get through when others don't. They are the ones that are continuing to make it happen. And whether it's innovative new products like canned cocktails or whether it's an expansion of, of non-alcohol products, which we're also 
you know, watching fill up our trucks and warehouses like never before. You know, one of the things we did in the fall was announce the, the kind of the change to our tagline from America's beer distributors to America's beer and beverage distributors. That was super deliberate. And that is exactly what's happening. So, um, but, but, but make no mistake about it, Van, I, this, is, this is why they call it work. Well, I mean, is it work? Well, I mean, <laughs> we're still having a little bit of fun out here. I mean, I'm with you, I'm with you, you, you know, it's like, uh, the, the, some days you're like, man, this is really hard. This absolutely sucks. And there are some days where you're like, I am the luckiest, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, Lou Gehrig, man, man, man. All right. Well, Craig, thank you so much for being on, bud. It's good to see you again. You're looking well. And, uh, oh yes. And the, the ledge conference, what are the dates on that? So uh, April 3 through 6 in D.C., let me walk you through the schedule because it's important to, to note, um, kind of Sunday night is our early arrivals, um, and we'll have a small welcome reception. Uh, Monday morning, we get started with some value-added seminars. We're going to talk about um, a whole host of issues. We're planning on having a trade practice seminar um, from the folks from TTB. That's very top of mind. If you've had the unpleasantry of any kind of an enforcement action or investigation, uh, knowing what the rules are, we think is real important. Especially you know, since they're starting to really enforce it and those fines are getting material. Absolutely. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, as frustrating as it is and as unpleasant as it is, uh, and sometimes uh, TTB can, can be uh, out of line and it's, it's very difficult, but understand the rules have never been more important. And those rules, I think, have never been more important as we watch all these new entrants to the industry. We'll also have some, uh, an update around our, and some training around our uh, Beer First activities, which is part of our category growth initiative. That's um, been an amazing thing to watch, how much just organic support there is from distributors and everything from using the, the sales sheets and sales tools that have been developed to hosting Beer First Fridays. Um, you know, I'm one of those that believes we actually can return the industry to growth. Uh, I think the whole notion that, that uh, regular beer is done has been greatly exaggerated. I know that there's uh, all kinds of other products out there, and that's great too, but um, I think we must, we must, we must continue to tend to the fires of regular beer. And then on, uh, starting at lunch on Monday, we'll have our distributor members meeting, and then that afternoon, We'll be inviting our partners and associate members and brewers to join us for an industry session. Um, we'll hear from Charlie Cook, who's um, a great pundit who will try to make sense of the nonsense political uh, environment that we're dealing with. We will have a reception on Monday night that's hosted by the Beer Institute. We're thrilled that uh, those members will be coming together. We'll be at Charlie Palmer's once again for good fellowship and time together with industry leaders. And then on Tuesday morning, we will go and hit the hill. And it'll feel a little bit different. Um, we think a number of our meetings will be held in the Capitol complex and members' offices. We'll also, we've got space reserved all over Capitol Hill for cups of coffee and beer um, for folks uh, that, that where it's easier to meet with their member um, in an office at the Capitol Hill Club at another venue. Um, so we're really excited about that. And then on, on Tuesday night, our Cheers event will be back. Um, we're looking forward to making up for some lost time as it relates to that event. Um, we're going to be talking, obviously, about competition. We're going to be talking about differentiation. Uh, I was thrilled to see Michelle DeCaris, um 
kind of kind of um, talk about that and, and the fact that alcohol origin matters. I thought that was excellent. Um, and uh, obviously, we're also going to be talking about things like workforce. Um, very, very top of mind, letting uh, members of Congress know uh, the challenges uh, ranging from, you know, just retaining and keep, uh, recruiting and retaining employees and CDL drivers uh, all the way to the many other varied issues. One piece of news that is breaking as of late yesterday, uh, DC has announced that as of March 1st, they will be rescinding their max and vax order. So this will make for a much more pleasant time at the legislative conference. Um, we're looking forward to taking those masks down safely, uh, being able to come together and have some fellowship like we haven't had for two years. Great. Well, it sounds like fun. And, and what, what's that Irish pub on the corner there? Um, the, uh, oh shit, you just stumped the freaking band here. Why can't I think of? Oh, the Irish Times is the shitty one. The Dubliner. For the that. Dubliner. I love that there's two Irish pubs right next to each other in the middle of downtown or whatever you call that part of D.C. And one of them's a super shitty and one of them's really good. And they both stay in business somehow. They continue to crush it. They made it through the pandemic. I mean, it's it's just like every other community out there. I mean, these um, you know, these on-premises have just been devastated. And D.C. was way more shut down than a lot of towns. Um, I mean, we're out in Virginia, and we had a very different COVID than just across the river. Um, I think for those distributors that, you know, have territories where there's one that's urban and one suburban, they were very, very grateful to have that diversity. Um, now, we're, the Dubliner is king, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing a lot of our old friends and getting together. And, and you know, when you think about it, um, we have folks that were elected in 2020 that have never had an in-person meeting with a, with a beer hall center. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, didn't have one in 20, didn't have one in 21, so that makes 22 way. Right. All right. Well, uh, listen, thanks for drinking beer, Craig. Thanks for being on. And uh, we'll check in with you after the big show. All right, fellas. Good to see you. Cheers. See you, Craig. See you.